NPR Music. This is a special podcast extra edition of Alt Latino. I'm Felix Contreras. This week, we're going to spend some time with the Dominican Republic. It has the historic distinction of being the landing spot of Christopher Columbus in 1492 after he sailed the ocean blue. But that European invasion set off a series of historical and social events that reverberate to this day. And as we've discussed here on Alt Latino many times, the Dominican Republic is a musical hothouse. Countless musicians have sailed beyond the beautiful island environment to spread sounds like merengue and bachata through the Spanish-speaking world. It's also the source of a distinct literary tradition. Writers from the island and from the Dominican diaspora have blessed us with stories, essays, and deep thoughts about things like the effects of colonialism, the beauty of the indigenous Taino culture, as well as everyday life on the island and beyond. Which brings us to this week's show. This week, we'll talk to three Afro-Dominicana writers who are part of a recent wave of authors who use literature, poetry, and even social media to reflect the contemporary Dominican experience. We'd like to welcome Daniele Rodriguez de Lorbe, a poet and co-host of the podcast Loose Accents. She's speaking to us from Alt Latino West in Culver City. Daniele, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Amanda Alcantara is the founder of La Galeria magazine and is also an editor for our friends at Latino USA. And her new book is called Chula. She's joining us from the Alt Latino New York studio. Yay, thank you so much for having me. And joining us here in Alt Latino World Headquarters, Elizabeth Acevedo. She's a New York Times bestselling author and winner of the 2018 National Book Award for Young People's Literature. She's the author of The Poet X and With the Fire on High, which came out this year. Elizabeth, thank you for joining us. Delighted to be here. And to guide us through all of this this week, we welcome back former NPR Croc Fellow and current Alt-Latino contributor, Jessica Diaz-Hurtado. Jessica, welcome back. Hey, what's up, Felix? And we're starting with some music from one of the most popular musical exports from the Dominican Republic. This is Juan Luis Guerra and one of my favorite songs of his. This is called Ojalá Que Llueva Café. Sufra tanto, ojalá que llueva café del campo, pa' que en los montones oigan este canto, ojalá que llueva café del campo, ojalá que llueva, ojalá que llueva y hombre, ojalá que llueva café del campo, ojalá que llueva café, mm, pa' que todos los niños canten en el campo.
Okay, before we get started, an advisory. This week's show is about ideas. And those ideas come across in meaningful, thoughtful conversations. So we're not going to hear a lot of music, but we are going to hear a lot of great conversation. So, Jessica, go ahead and kick it off with the first question. Yeah, for sure. So, Dangeli, you're a poet. Amanda, you're a founder of a magazine and you're an editor. And Elizabeth, you're also a writer and a poet. When was the first time that y'all felt that, yes, I'm a writer, this is who I am? Elizabeth, do you want to start? I think the the label of writer didn't feel like one that I was allowed to use for a long time. I I was a rapper, you know, and I I very much believed that I would be participating in music in some capacity. And when I got to high school and joined the poetry team, even then I was like, but I'm not actually a poet. Like that felt something, you know, white and elitist and old um, that I didn't have access to. I didn't know any um, Dominican poets or Latinx poets, you know, most of the writers in my communities were, were in hip hop. And so I would say it wasn't until um, I really encountered other writers and started taking workshops and kind of had that label thrust upon me that I began thinking through, well, why not me? And what is it about what I've been taught that makes me think a body like mine can't also be a person of letters? And you, Amanda? I started writing when I was nine years old. Um, I wrote my very first piece at that age, and I performed it in front of, like, an audience in school. And I really have been a writer since I was a kid. But I don't think I stepped fully into myself as a writer until I published uh, Chula earlier this year. Mm. And, you know, similarly to Elizabeth Acevedo, I also think that it was about who I perceived writers to be, you know. So when I was younger, I thought that I had to write, like, Pablo Neruda, or I thought that I had to write sort of like, you know, these people that tend to be white that they throw onto us as, like, acclaimed writers. Um, And it wasn't until I realized that the way that I wrote is also writing that I really stepped into the label. And for you, Dangeli? I feel like I still struggle with the label writer. Um, I feel like I still look at very acclaimed writers as a sample of what I should be writing. Mm. I always feel more comfortable being called a spoken word artist because I know that I'm a good performer. I mean, mm. I think that's where I've received um, the most validation in my art and mm. um, in my poetry. Um, but the first time that I consider myself or that I I basically realized that I was on the journey to become a writer was actually with Sandra Cisneros. I went to one of her book signings for A House of My Own, um, a compilation of like stories of her life. And when I was getting her book signed, I told her, you know, thank you so much for your work. Um, I I feel like I've grown through your writing from House of Manguistry all the way to Wicked Wicked Games and Loose Woman. She said, do you write? And I said, oh, you know, I was very shy about it. Um, and I told her, I write for myself. I don't show my writing to anyone. And she told me, so you're already a writer. You're mm. just on the first phase. Mm. And I kind of like, you know, when you go back to like moments that really change your life, that was one of them. Where it's like, okay, I'm already a writer. It's just a matter of putting it out there and believing in myself and believing in my craft. That's so beautiful. Just to have that, you know, such a, a well-known writer and who's respected to kind of, yeah, just call it what it was what she saw which is you know it was a writer um so for y'all three y'all can just jump in how has identity and culture within the afro-dominican or afro-caribbean culture has influenced your writing who wants to take that first (laughs) (laughs) these are like some super um 
layered questions. Yeah. <laughs> we you can know, pick it apart. I well, mean, I mean, I think that this is always a hard question because it's like I have never existed in, in an identity outside mm-hmm. of this one. So mm-hmm. I have no yeah. idea what it would be to write from a non-Afro Panamanian point of view or non-woman point of view. I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying, right? So like for me, <sighs> I, I come to the table knowing that the way I write and speak has been curtailed to sound a certain type of way to be more palatable, to be safer um, for certain groups of people who who are in charge of publishing. And and so then I have to think about how do I assert the, the voices that are very urban, that are Dominican, that are very specific in terms of the kind of Spanish I speak, the kind of syntax I use, the kind of vernacular I'm coming to the space with. For me, that preservation of um, navigating that maze of language is, is bringing identity to the table right but i don't that's the closest i can get to to knowing what it would be like to strip away language right to say like okay this is what people tell me is safe writing and then being like well i'm gonna do this anyway and i'm not gonna italicize the spanish and i'm not going to um necessarily take out these references just because you don't know them Mm -hmm. or or you assume readers won't know them like i know who i'm writing for and who i'm writing towards and so i think my identity brings itself to the page in trying to affirm in other folks who are reading like I see you mm. if you are of this of this group if you are speaking my language if you are reading this like I see you right and and you deserve to be here at this page with me um, and I don't know if I would have that same sensibility if I, I didn't come to the page knowing that most writing was not for me yeah right and I- so I'm conscious of how is my writing for the people I actually want to have access to it Hi, this is Amanda. So for me, I agree with a lot of what Elizabeth just said, and I think I had to step into writing how I was writing and allowing my writing to just be what it is without feeling Mm. this fear of having to uh, conform to whatever the literature world was telling me and whatever the literary, literary canon was telling me that I need to write like. So... I think for me, the moment when that came was when I wrote a piece called Nunca Serefina. So it goes, um, it's in Spanish. It goes, Nunca Serefina, pero tampoco soy sencilla. Bailando reggaeton desde niña, liberación en la marquesina. I'm a Libra, catch me in la esquina. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of goes into Spanglish and from there on. To me, I realized, wow, I could write poetry just like these reggaetoneros write their rhymes. Mm-hmm. You know, and I could... Um, and, and that felt like the, the realest expression of just how I speak, you know? I'm writing for my homegirls. Those are the people who are in mm. the room. I'm writing for my best friends. I'm writing, sometimes not even my family's in the room, you know, if I'm too shy or anything. Sometimes like the people in the room when I'm writing are just the ones closest to me. And that allows me to fully write how I speak. And in that way, I realize I'm following in this oral tradition of our people, you know, of like black people in the diaspora. Um, And even with spoken word, you know, I think sometimes I didn't feel like I could write in the same way that black American spoken word artists do write, you know, because that's more within the hip hop world, there's more within sort of like this New York Bronx style. And I'm not from the Bronx, you know, I'm not from New York City. Uh, And I related more to the Caribbean music which and they all inform each other, which is what's so beautiful, you know, and what is so amazing about sort of this oral tradition and the way in which music comes to, into play. So Danjeli here. Um, what's what what's so beautiful about this conversation is that I, when I 
I was always a big uh, spoken word fan, and I was always on YouTube. I was checking out other people's uh, work, and most of them were Black Americans. And for a long time, the way that I began to write was um, in, in within that um, framework of you know Black liberation, but never really speaking about my Afro Caribbean roots. Mm. And that's because everything that I was seeing, um, you know, revolved around um, Black American history. And then I stumbled across the poem Hair by by Elizabeth Acevedo. And I remember crying. I posted it on my Facebook and I'm like, oh, my God, like this is what I've been waiting to hear. Um, and eventually I actually stumbled upon um, Amanda's Instagram and I heard uh, that poem. I think you recorded it one time and posted it up. And that's when I basically felt courage to begin writing from my point of view. Because what I saw was, you know, I saw um, Elizabeth Acevedo, like a very strong Afro-Dominican poet. And then I saw Amanda and I'm like, oh, my God, like these women are so bold. But then I'm like, okay, so what what can I contribute to the conversation? And what I saw missing was kind of like that undocumented story. Mm. So for me, I'm like, okay, so... You know, we have a lot of the similar, a lot of similar stories, but I want to add on to the conversation. And that's what gave me the, you know, the, the courage to start writing um, from my own um, history as opposed to someone else's or whether the framework of, of what someone else was already doing. I'm also just sitting here like if you keep hearing the mm, that's like me, like wanting to, <laughs> yes. to like everything y'all say. But also that that for me receiving this invitation and even sitting here now, like I'm just like, yo, this is so dope. Yeah. This is so dope. Like, I could not have imagined um, in my life at any point, like, a conversation on this kind of outlet between three Afro-Dominicanas who represent a very specific generational point of view, but very different experiences coming together and doing this, right? And and I think there are there are people, necess- like, missing at the table, but how amazing that we've we're in this moment together Right. Like I was reading Chula and I'm just like, like so much permission, I guess is what I'm saying. I think we give one another permission to write very honestly and to write very boldly by seeing what we're saying. Right. That when I read Chula and I realized, like, look at all this Spanish in here. Look at the musicality that comes in. Right. That I I love what you were saying, Amanda, about how you're kind of following like reggaetoneros, but like through poetry, because I saw that in there, right? That I've looked at you, Daniele, and be like, okay, I I need to like step my game up. That watching you these last few years has really showed me like, this is what a sharpness of pen sounds like, huh. right? And so, but it's, it's us watching each other and being like, oh, I'm allowed to do that? All right, let me try that, right? And I think yes, we have yes. to keep having that, that kind of um, looking horizontally, not necessarily at other folks, but like, what are we doing within this? And how do we allow ourselves um, room to keep exploring what does writing in, in Spanish and Spanglish look like? And what does it look like from this specific point of view of Dominicanness and Afro-Dominicanness? Well, we're very, very happy that you're all here on Alt Latino yes. sharing this experience because that's what we do. This is okay. beautiful. Thank you all um, for sharing. Just ask yeah, let's, your, your experiences. Let's Yeah, let's move on to, let's to hear some music. S- let's hear some music. Uh, let's see. Who wants to play a song next? A big one for me was El Mojado by Ricardo Arjona. It talked about um, basically uh, migrants, right? Um, undocumented immigrants. And there's so many powerful lines. Empacó un par de camisas, un sombrero 
Su vocación de aventurero, seis consejos, siete fotos, mil recuerdos. That song found me when I was um, undocumented. I think I was in entering college, and basically I felt seen. I felt seen because I, I saw my story um, in a song, but also because it was about undocumented immigrants and kind of like shining light on the beauty of migrating and how limiting it is to basically blame people for wanting a better life. Si la luna suave se desliza por cualquier cornisa sin permiso alguno Porque el mojado precisa comprobar con visas que no esté Neptuno El mojado tiene ganas de secarse El mojado está mojado por las lágrimas que bota la nostalgia El mojado, el indocumentado Carga el bulto que legal no cargaría mi obligado That was the track Mojado, done in a Mexican Norteño style from Ricardo Arjona, who is from Guatemala. So I have a question for you guys, um, one or all of you. You're just ex you just explained uh, your experiences in uh, development of self as a writer, and I'm wondering if you had any examples to follow or any people that you looked up to either from the Dominican Republic or any other writers that uh, that helped you establish this identity? Um, for me, Josefina Baez, her writing is incredible. You know, she's also a Dominican writer from the diaspora. And just her play on words and her her entire style and just persona really, really just got to me. Um, and it made me feel like... I can break all the rules in terms of how I write. Uh, there's also Rita Indiana. Rita Indiana is also a Dominican <sighs> writer and a musician, actually. Yeah. And you know her book, uh, La Mucama de Omicunle, which was just translated into English, it, it's sci-fi and it's coming from the Dominican Republic. And that really, really transformed me to realize like, wow, we have our own, you know, sort of, uh, Here's someone who is taking the story of the Caribbean and of this island and and transforming it and adding all of these other tools that, you know, we see other writers uh, do, like Octavia Butler, for example. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was incredible, right, to see that kind of those kinds of tools applied to the Caribbean and to Dominican Republic specifically. That that was amazing um, in terms of music. You know, I really, really love No Name. Uh, yep. She's a Chicago artist and. <laughs> She really just... She's fierce. Yeah, yeah. I listen to her every single day, you know, mm -hmm. both of her albums. And again, it's about 
sort of taking these forms that we have been given, right? So she's a hip-hop artist, but then she brings jazz into it, and she sings, you know, I think she tweeted that she sings lullaby raps, and that, to me, was incredible. And I think um, I think all of these artists and so many more inform my writing and inform the way in which I, I put, you know, words to the paper. And in addition to all of that, also... A big tool for me was these songs that I used to sing as a little girl um, and these songs that my grandma used to sing to me. I definitely also, when it comes at least to the book Chula, I tried to incorporate all of that because it felt like those lyrics are also a way of writing. Okay, let's hear a little bit of the music you were talking about. This is the rapper No Name and this song is called Song 32. Cigarillo, cigarillo, I'm shaking up with the trees. How I keep the leaf in the middle. One more than these hotel rentals and dental bills adding up. I'm the Kennedy's out for lunch with a preacher martyr the king. I'm Cardi's engagement ring. I'm America showing off. I'm Viacom, Viacom. I'm Chappelle and Pelly, Pelly and rapping like Dialon. Spell it like Dialon. Gave my body to Adam, he told me to lie for him. Apple wasn't the apple, the truest end was a pussy. I'm patriarchy on Sunday, don't push me, I'm Viacom. Y'all niggas got Diddy money, don't push me, I'm Adam Bomb. I'm Obama pushing a button in Libya, Pakistan. He mainly a hypocrite, the center and the civilian, the pettiest that it gets. I'm America at this best. Yeah, I'm America at this best. Yippee-ka, yippee-ka, with the nones. Start to get the money from writing the haiku. Dangeli, what about you? Any any writers that influenced you or inspired you? So what I can think about is um, a, a book that was very big for me. Um, and it was the, the book Voices of the Diaspora, Stories and Testimonies of Dominican Immigrant Women. And it's compiled by Mary Ellie Pena. Um, and... That book was huge for me. I was doing uh, research when I was in college uh, on Afro-Latinidad way back when, like four, almost four years ago now, um, five years ago. And that was when Afro-Latinidad was not really um, in the mainstream media as it is now. Uh, and that book basically um, informed a lot of what I wanted to write um, later, you know, for the rest of my life. And it was basically a, a compilation of women owning their stories and telling their own stories of migration. And something very big for me was that in that book, there was a story about um, Tilcia Caridad Brenz. Uh, she was the... Um, the uh, the I think the president of the Association of Dominican Classical Music um, organization in, in New York or the founder um, and she was actually my piano professor wow. and I found this book about six years after she passed and reading her story there she you know she grew up in the era of Trujillo and it kind of solidified the kind of story that I wanted to to incorporate into my writing that I wanted to tell um, and it was just huge for me. I think for the most part, I don't know why, but I I connected more with, um, in regards to music, with Mexican music, like mariachi, rancheras, and that's because what that's what I grew up listening to. That's what my tia um, and my mommy was like, were like blasting on Saturday mornings. In, in, so, in New York? In New York, yes. In New York and even in Dominican Republic. Yeah. It was yeah. all about Pimpinela, um, Maricela, <laughs> Ana Gabriel, um, and all these like very strong uh, baladas and, and, and ranchera artists that now inform a lot of my work. And they're the, they're the reason why I'm always writing love poems. <laughs> mm. I, I agree so much with you, Dangeli, that I also grew up listening to all of these rancheras in mm -hmm. Dominican Republic and <laughs> Latin pop, you know, whatever was mm -hmm. was big across Latin America. Of course, we were listening to it in Dominican Republic, too. 
I, I wonder if our moms all went to the same convention because definitely <laughs> there was mariachi was such a big thing. And for her, I think she loved watching it on TV, like the outfits, the the regalia of it, I think was really interesting to her. And and also the heartbreak, which is probably why I grew up with a lot of bolero, that for us it was mm. all about these mm-hmm. torch songs, this, this like slow rendering of love. Um, in terms of writer, I love um, Rina Espia. I think she's a, a beautiful poet, and, and her work um, was one of the first poems, that's the poem about Spanglish, that I ever encountered by a Dominican writer um, in, a, in a space that was not necessarily geared towards Latinx writing, right? The first thing I ever saw in a textbook that was a Dominican person that had written it. Um, I think, you know, Julia Alvarez for sure. Oh yes, just because yes, yes. where like she was the Dominican writer figure, right? She was it from from middle school onward. Like her books were where I turned everything from before we were free to Yo to Garcia Girls to I remember reading in the name of Salome, which is about this you know Dominican woman poet and how she worked to get her work published, and just realizing like oh wait, we can be poets. Right. And this was around that same age where I was trying to call myself a writer. And so to see that, see that that this, you know, is in our lineage um, was really powerful. And I want to give a shout out to, you know, Nelly Rosario, who wrote Song of the Water Saints um, Mm -hmm. and to Angie Cruz, that I think if you look at the work of Dominican writers, particularly Dominican women writers, there is a way that we are trying to tell intergenerational stories. Right. That all of these books tend to have more than one main character. That when even when I was reading Chula, Amanda, I love that section where you talk about the origins of your parents falling in love. That our yes. story never feels isolated outside of like who we are from and and who's coming after, right? That we're in this middle ground. And I think that there is a lineage in the literature if we were to look at it and really can map out, like look at the ways that people talk about the writing and the storytelling and who we are as an inheritance that feels particularly um, of our island. You know what I'm really enjoying about this conversation, uh, being both the resident Mexicano or Chicano in the room, (laughs) but also the slightly older uh, observer and participant. I love how you guys each have an instance where there was something that spoke to you in in a very clear way. And and I love how history repeats itself because, for, for example, when I, the first time I really understood uh, the power of of literature reflecting self was when an ex-girlfriend called and left these different verses of Sandra Cisneros, you bring the Mexican out in me. Oh, uh, I love on the that. Phone. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it was, you know, and it was just so, it devastated me. I mean, it was just such a strong, like, wow, that that's, that's me. That's her, right? Yeah. And that's us. It's unlike anything else. And, you know, keep in mind, you know, I'm, I'm going back to uh, Chicano poetry in the 1970s with, you know, Richard Montoya and mm-hmm. Juan Felipe Herrera and all those guys, right? All of these people who I, who I grew up with and I hung out with. But the idea of these writers, I, I love how history repeats itself and not everybody has the same source material, right? You guys have a completely different source of inspiration mm-hmm. and, and self-identity. That, that, I love that part. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah. All right, time for a little bit more music. This is Tego Calderon with the song Dominicana. Amanda, you brought this one in. Tell us about it. I chose this song because it felt, at the time, you know, when I was a teenager, it was a song that felt like an ode to being a Dominicana. 
And even though, you know, it over-sexualizes Dominican women, I also think it was a celebration of, like, who we are. And I have borrowed some lyrics from this song as well. <laughs> nice. Okay, Tego Calderón, La Dominicana. Before we go, let's hear one more song. It's your turn, Elizabeth. Yeah, I'd love to hear um, Raulín's La Loca. Um, so much of, you know, when I was thinking about what are songs that inform my writing or what are musical genres that inform my writing, that Safio Hello, this amazing poet, you know, has this quote where she says, um, for most of my life, I felt like I was performing my identity wrong or I was afraid of performing my identity wrong. And I think as someone who was growing up pretty isolated from extended family. Most of my extended family was in the Dominican Republic. The connections that I had that made me feel fully like I am from this place and I am of these people and and, um, and I don't have to question if I'm the gringa cousin. I don't have to question if I'm too much in these spaces came through the markers of like music and dance, right? And, and bachata feeling very much in my body and like I knew... I knew the the rhythms, I knew the movement meant a lot. And this was a song that my father would play when we would go out to eat at, at um, La Caridad restaurant, <laughs> as one does in New York, um, <laughs> off the little like uh, jukebox. And he would play this every single time. And so it became this marker of, of where we ate, of this time with my dad, but also this song about what it means to be so in love, you know, that people are calling you insane in every capacity, but... But it's just like this, this, uh, this adoration that you hold, and I remember always just making that distinction of who do we call crazy, and what is crazy, and what is passion. And at a young age, listening to those lyrics, but you know, to this day, when I listen to this song, it just takes me back, and I feel like so much of my writing is struggling through nostalgia and through history and through memories, and so it felt like uh, the token that best represented my work.
I can't imagine your dad playing anything but Dominican. <laughs> <laughs> we listen to a lot of yeah, we listen to I mean yeah. a lot of bolero from all over, a lot yeah. of um, folk music. That's why one of the other people is Mercedes Sosa. I mean, we grew up. Uh, our father's yes. a big music head, mm-hmm. and so he nice. has stuff from all over. So that was La Loca by Raulín Rodríguez. Okay, y'all, I have one last question for y'all. So if you can think of, like, a phrase or a sentence that you could go back and say to your younger self, what is, like, one thing you would want to tell, like, your 15-year-old self who, you know, is starting to write or is getting, like, you know, informed by all these different writers? This is Liz, and I think something I've heard from D'Angeli and also from Amanda that I have felt pretty often is wanting to look for a blueprint like wanting a template to tell me how I could write and how, and, and more than that for me, how I could be woman, how I could be woman of color, how I could be Afro-descendant. Like all, I wanted someone to tell me like this is how it happens. And I wish I could tell my younger self like there's no blueprint. Like you are writing her every single day. You are making her up on a, a consistent basis and, and the woman you want to like see, like you have to become. And I, I wish I had had that permission of stop looking outward. Like you know exactly who you are. Amanda? Yes, for me, it would be really simple. I think you are enough. Um, I feel like society, you know, from the moment we are born, just chips away at us as, you know, Afro-Dominican women, as uh, Afro-Latinas. I really, it really just feels like we carry this burden. But you know what? At the same time, we carry this beauty. We carry this uh, power and this this gift within us. Just for my younger self to know that she is enough, that she was enough, that she will continue to be enough, that is, that is key. Tanjeli. For me, definitely, if you are not seeing yourself in what you're reading, then write it yourself. Mm. I mean, I tell myself that right now, right? And I would tell it to myself um, when I was undocumented as well. It's just a matter of, um, creating what what you're lacking at that moment, create it so that other folks that are, you know, you know, younger people, um, young adults who don't have access to that same story can access yours. Um, it's very important to me. And also something that I tell myself now is try to be the person that you needed back then. So try to be the person that your 12-year-old self needed. Dangeli Rodriguez, Amanda Alcantara, and Elizabeth Acevedo, thank you all for joining us yes, today. Thank you so much. It was so great thank to talk with you all. Me. Yeah, this yes, was a blast. Thank you so much for having me. We should have served some drinks and some little... <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to have to do it again, clearly. Yeah, <laughs> and, and yes. in the same space. And Jessica Diaz-Hortado, thank you again for joining us again. Of course, thank you. This has been a special podcast extra edition of Alt Latino. I'm Felix Contreras. As always, thank you so much for listening. <laughs>